Guru Nation, thank you so much for checking out another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. It really means a lot to me. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to thank my sponsors. The first one is Inato. That's I-N-A-T-O, and you can find them at Inato.com. Inato is business development for free for sites. Whether you are a brand new site, whether you're an experienced site, you go on there, you create your site profile, they will match you with appropriate studies. They will jump on Zoom calls with you to prepare you for potential site selection visits from sponsors. They will tell you if your capabilities are up to par with what the sponsor is looking for, if your demographics are up to par as far as your patient population and your site capabilities. You build out your profile for free. They go to work trying to match you with appropriate studies. They talk to you about it. If you're a fit, they hand you off to the sponsor. There is no catch. There is no budget that they take on the back end. It's just a service where they match sites to sponsors for free. I'm a paid client of my own service, the SES, where we do a bunch of hand-holding for sites, where we help them do their budgets, try to get them studies, help them with their feasibilities, create SOPs, create source, all that stuff for a low monthly fee, 1500 bucks. I use Inato as well because it's free. And why not complement the other things I'm doing for my business development, for my marketing, for my operations with a free site profile on Inato? These guys know what they're doing. They're running tech. They're experts in research and in tech. And they're merging the two things together in Inato.com. Thank you very much. My second sponsor, Versatrel. I was a huge skeptic of Versatrel. And now I use Versatrel on a daily basis, multiple times a day. For any of you guys that do studies, you know that most studies have between 8 to 12 different vendors for various aspects of running the trial from the IRB to the IRT to the EDC to the recruitment companies to all kinds of various things even within those portals that are sometimes hard to find and you got to navigate to electronic patient reported outcomes, the trainings for the patient diaries, the backup. There's so many things. Versatrial lets you store all these things in your site workspace for free for as many studies as you want. And then they have a back-end tool that helps you also do feasibility surveys for your site. So it cuts down the time on your feasibility surveys tremendously. I absolutely recommend all sites Use Versatrial, versatrial.io. Finally, Creo, clinicalresearch.io. Talk about a company that I was extremely skeptical of when I first heard of Ray's idea in 2017. Now I can't live life without Creo. I've been using Creo as a power user for two years. I've been playing with it on and off for the previous five years. Creo has an e-source. It has an e-reg. It has a CTMS. It has patient recruitment, it has e-consent, it has financial forecasting, it has a marketplace where you can buy source templates. They have so many things. They roll out new things all the time. They have an incredible support team. They have a help desk that actually is responsive immediately on chat with a question mark right by your workspace. It's amazing. It is all my coordinators know at Yuma Clinical Trials. We started with Electronic Source and never looked back. It has made our lives so much more easier. And Creo has such a cool 
backend where they're now collaborating with other tech companies in the industry and sponsors. And you just want to be on the right side of history when it comes to our industry and where technology is moving and site-centric solutions like Creo, like Inato, like Versatrel. They're here to stay, guys. Go check it out in the show notes. And now enjoy the show. Live, 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 spontaneous live streams, guys. This is what it's all about, okay? When you get into a conversation with someone and you keep going back and forth and you just say, you know what, I wish we were live streaming this because I know others feel the same way. And so that's essentially how this happened. We've got myself, we've got Brad Hightower, who's also restreaming on his end. We've got... The famous Chris Sauber, famous because he has no social media to speak <laughs> of. Infamous. Infamous. Uh, all SOS members. And then we have honorary SOS members that I we're, they're going to be there for sure. Uh, Robert, at least I know for sure. Justin, we'd love to have you come to you. Um, Robert and Justin, they're representing the sponsor side. And small sponsor, but it's a sponsor nonetheless. And they've they have a long history of working... At CRO level, sponsor level. Um, so thank you guys for coming on, everybody. Absolutely. Thanks, Dan, for having me, as always. We, we get uh, – Justin, why don't we start with you? Because we this is your first time here. You want to give us, like, a brief background? Of, I think it, the people know everyone else, but it would be good to get your, your background, then we can get into some of the topics. Sure. Um, mostly CRO background. I – been in the industry for uh, over 17 years now. Uh, started in 2005 and um, started off as a product associate, just doing admin work. And then I worked my way up through CRA, all the way up through CTM. Uh, and then I've been managing trials since 2014 and um, went from the major large CEO or C, uh, CRO to another large CRO. I was 20,000 when I left the first place. Uh, globally, went to a place with 15,000, and it was around 18 or 20,000 when I left that place. Then I went to a small CRO um, with only 700 people globally. Uh, it was based out of Poland, great small company, um, and I did that before coming over to the sponsor side. And I've been on the sponsor side now since 2021. Very good. So we can get like some, you know. The benefit of getting sponsor guests on um, us three on the top were sites, so we're not we're not often privy to what sponsors are thinking, and I think this is one of the reasons why you, Robert, and soon to be Justin, if you come back on, why you guys are such popular guests. You know, it's almost like we get a chance to get inside the mind of a sponsor, which is very tough to. Uh, to get a glimpse and an accurate portrayal. I guess this is why we even have conferences like SCRS and ACRP and that kind of magi to supposedly try to get inside your guys's head from a site perspective, but it's good to do it live here. So what, what's been uh, going on on your end, Robert and Justin with the studies you got going on? Well, you know, Dan, it's always the same thing, right? It's uh, everything we always encounter, um, uh, working against timelines, deliverables, milestones, 
Um, I think Dr. Fox is in the comments. He wants to join us. Oh, Fox, I'll get you on right now. Let me send yeah. you the link. Um, but, you know, Dan, yeah, just, just the normal uh, grind, you know, um, the siloed communications we're dealing with, sites moving, switching addresses. Um, I only find out because I get an IRB notification that they submitted a new redlined ICF. I had no idea. Um, what do you think you know, about that? Like sites that want to have a satellite site or, or, um, I don't, maybe I don't move? mind. Yeah, I don't mind. I mean, listen, you know, sites are going to move, but I'm just, I, I bring this up because, um, you know, it's like, Hey, let us know. Right. I mean, you're supposed to have oversight of, of your sites. You're managing your sites and, um, you know, it'd be nice if, if we were aware prior to me just seeing an IRB notification come through saying, Hey, you, you know, we need sponsor approval for this ICF. And I'm like, wait a minute, this site has no active patients. <laughs> the enrollment's closed. Why are we doing it? Like, who are they going to consent a ghost? Um, so that that's been going on, Dan, you know, and I'm okay with, listen, sites move, right? Satellites. I have a whole nother opinion on, um, in the certain context, I believe it's absolutely needed and phenomenal, but it, it creates, you know, some more work downstream for, I think all stakeholders, which is, which is, you know, good. Dr. Fox, how are you, sir? How's it going, Robert? How's it Great, going, man. team? Great to see you. Great to see you. I got my buddy, Justin here. Uh, uh, you haven't met him yet. Sorry for the sidetrack, but he's uh, an associate director here with me uh, running our phase two st uh, trial. So just a quick wanted to let you know who is here. So maybe, maybe we start with that, Robert. That's a good thing you brought up because I'm thinking about, I was just texting Chris earlier about, I think I need more space. I think I texted you too. I need more space yeah. for, uh, for two of my PIs and we're probably going to do satellite sites just to give the monitors more space. What's the proper site etiquette from a sponsor perspective? Should I... Sometimes we feel like we shouldn't bug you guys about everything. Like that's what our CRA is for. Um, yeah, you know, Dan. But I, I mean, you can go to your CRA. Ultimately, it's going to come to us, right? Mm -hmm. Whether or not we're going to approve a satellite site and kind of the justification. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's it's another place to visit. It's another set of documents. Sometimes you can keep one ISF. You know, maybe another fifteen seventy two is going to be needed. Um, but given the right oversight plan from the the, the lead pi um you know it, it's to me it's not a problem um you know but it does create some logistical issues right the cra is going to have to visit both facilities feasibility has to be done on both facilities you know what's going to be done at the satellite site that can't be done at the main site you know brad's you know understands all everything that i'm saying here so just kind of a I think a good discussion and rationale on why this needs to happen is, is the right etiquette. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, most people are pretty amicable to it. It shouldn't really be that much of a problem given that it's the right fit, right dynamic. So I mean, I had a, sorry to interrupt. I one one last thing before the panel like chimes in. I, I had a site one time come to me like, Robert, we need a satellite site. Um, and, and this site was like, five miles away and he's like well my pi only can do physical exams there he can't do them over there and i was just like eh, you know like the juice isn't worth the squeeze on that one you know mm -hmm. so it, it's gotta it's gotta be a right fit so follow-up question to that in terms of not necessarily satellite sites but just moving in general so um we consult for a number of sites throughout the country dan and i um 
And we're often asked, hey, if I want to move my site to a completely different location, not a satellite site, just site entirely moves, um, will the sponsor take issue with that? And what we generally advise clients, and you tell me if this is accurate or not, um, if you've been on the study for a few months and you have no patients enrolled, you might find yourself getting shut down if you move, if you request to move, right? In other words, there's there's no reason for the sponsor to invest the time and resources into moving you when you have been unable to enroll as is. If you have patients enrolled or even one, they want that data, so they'll assuredly move, be willing to allow you to move. You. Yeah, you know, Chris, I, I, I don't know if I, you know, obviously I can't speak for everybody and all, all the thought light leaders, right? But I mean, if it was me, um, I guess you bring up a good point in that, you know, okay, so you've been open for two months, you haven't screened anybody, you haven't enrolled anybody. Yeah, maybe that might play into the decision, right? But as a general rule of thumb, that's a pretty crummy thing to do. I mean, in, in my personal opinion, like I would never do that to a site. As you guys know, I'm a huge site advocate. So maybe my, <laughs> maybe my, my, you know, opinion is, is very different, but you know, there, maybe there needs to be a little discussion, you know, Hey, uh, before we move forward with this moving plan and get a whole new reg pack submitted, IRB notification, update ICF, updated reg docs, IP transfer policy, like before figuring out all those logistics, what's the plan? Do we need to, you know, do a site recruitment plan update? You know, what's the feasibility look like? We have to obviously tour the facility to make sure that facility is appropriate to conduct the current study. Mm -hmm. So, you know, before you go down that road, maybe just have those discussions. But I think just the mere fact they haven't enrolled, um, it, it would be a very... I mean, again, it, it really just, as, as everyone knows, there's always variables, right? The answer in our industry is, well, it depends, right? Exactly. It's always, it, it depends, right? Yep. So, so I think it's a, it's a very, it's a very, um, you know, specific scenario that has to be addressed. But from a general high level rule of thumb, I wouldn't necessarily advise people to like be worried about moving their site and losing a study because they haven't been successful. Maybe that's why they're moving, right? And maybe the move is going exactly. to create create yeah. some some more you know uh patience for that trial so i keep an open mind personally and, and to, to add to that too perhaps it's more of a compliance issue too they can have more storage because they're taking on more and more studies that they can have more personnel to be certainly you know, better run more efficient um i i mean from my perspective it's not a, a i would never shut down a site if they're going to be moving now again to the it depends if you're on a three-month allergic rhinitis study and you're telling me two months in that you haven't enrolled anybody, there's a week and a half left of enrollment and you want to move. Moving. Yeah. So I mean that's a different that's a different scenario than like if you're on a you know a long haul enrollment timeline and you're just relocating for for whatever yeah. reason. I, I mean I've actually when I was a CRA, I've had to deal with several site moves. And Ultimately, it's up to the investigator, the PI on the 1572, to maintain the adequacy of the site. So yep. I've even seen it to where a site was relocated and we didn't do an assessment visit until after they were relocated. Because mm -hmm. you can't really assess the sites for the validity of a study when their equipment isn't in place yet because it's still at the old facility. 
Then they had a plan in place to move all the equipment over the course of a weekend to IP, the re relocate the IP in a controlled uh, manner. Uh, and that's going to get even trickier if you have IP that requires refrigeration. What's your plan? Having a well thought out uh, you know, plan in order to make that move from one site to the next and have a clear cutoff date when this site is no longer in operation and this site is going in. Mm -hmm. I think it's definitely, you know, it, it, it all comes down to planning and just communicating effectively with your CRO and your, and your sponsors, letting them know what's going on. Right. Um, yep. Let them know during feasibility, like don't surprise them after like you, you do an SIV and then at the SIV, they're like, Oh, by the way, we're moving next week. Well, yep. we would have waited for the SIV if you, if you would have told us. You know, sure. so yep. it, it just be clear in, in, in what your plans are. Well, and so keep in mind that every single CTA has a business address on it of the site. So if you are moving, there's many, many more pieces that need to be changed other than that. And let's face it, moving is expensive. So if sites are doing it, there's probably a really good reason. And so, if you, yeah, if you see a site investing in a move, it's likely an investment to improve a sponsor study, just like what Justin was saying. So as a follow-up to you, Robert, do you ever shut down a site for lack of enrollment? They're not moving, just they're not enrolling. So do you shut them oh, yeah. down? And if so, why? Yeah. So Chris, I mean, I'm like, I'm, you know, yeah, I've, I've had to make tough decisions and they're, they're just strictly business decisions at this mm -hmm. point um, where, you know, we, we give them, you know, adequate notice. We, we have round tables, we have one-on-ones, we have the medical director meet with the PI one-on-one. -on -one. We bring the CRCs on, we, you know, update the site recruitment plan. We do a motivational visit. It's really a last, you know, a last resort when we have to actually move to that way and bring on sites like rescue sites who are actually willing and able to add value to the study. I've actually had a PI literally tell me, he's like, he's like, Robert, you know, during one of these meetings where a site I had to close down, it was kind of funny because I was reading the trip report. Um, <laughs> this happened probably, I would say 12, 13 months ago, but I just happened to be reading the trip report and uh, the CRA indicated how upset the PI was that this was the decision that was made. But the PI literally told me, he's like, I don't have time for your study. Mm -hmm. I don't have time to sell your study. I need a trifold brochure. I'm like, you have one, you have two, as a matter of fact, it's, you know, like I'm happy to send them to you and I'll even print them in color for you. And if that's what it takes, he's like, well, I have nothing to send, you know, nothing to hand the patient. And when the patient's at my clinic, they're here for treatment. They're not interested in this study. I, yep. they, they want relief right now. They don't want to be sold a study. So I'm like, okay, well, is there anything we can do to support your efforts in, in selling the study? right how you know like whatever and and chris like when he had that type of position certainly yeah he was already on his way out you got yeah. it his one yep. foot was out the door already yep. so but but it was weird because his dismay in the report as conveyed by the cra was pretty opposite from you know the the outreach we have done and keep in mind this is like probably the sixth encounter again i, I you know you guys you know me i i don't want to shut down a site that's the mm -hmm. last thing i want to do but at a point it's a business decision, right? We're paying the CRO to oversee yep. the site, site management, IRB review fees. You know, th there's a whole host of other things downstream that 
you know, you have to make a decision at some point in time where it's no longer a value and you got to bring in a site like Dan or Brad or Chris that can actually, or, or you, Dr. Fox, you know, that can provide value to the trial. And that's why I have these conversations. Yep. You know, I call up people like Dan, call up people like Brad, you, Dr. Fox, Chris. And I say, hey guys, here's what I got. I'm in a pickle. I'm three months behind enrollment. You know, my screen failure rates higher than anticipated being super transparent, by the way, because mm -hmm. now we have the metrics to share. And, you know, is this a good fit for you? Yes, no, maybe so. If it is great, we move forward. But there's too many other people out there that deserve an opportunity to add value so that we can get these therapies to market. Having a site that's just sitting there doing nothing, you know, for four or five, six months, you know, it's actually detrimental to our mission, right? Mm -hmm. Well, not, not only that, just it's it could be counter uh, active to everything. So one of the worst things that you can have is have a site sit there for a year, no enrollment, and then a month before you meet your enrollment target, they enroll one patient. Oh, then then you just oh my gosh, that's terrible. And they because, ruin everything, yeah, they, by the way. And, now, and, now and, and every to, they, yeah, all new retraining, every all oh, so many deviations, all these issues that you have that you addressed a year ago with all the other sites you have to address with this site now. Yep. And then you and, have to extend enrollment and extend data yeah. collection and hold data locks for a whole other year. Cause someone added one patient onto a trial there now and onto what Robert was saying. I've had many a conversation with a sponsor as a site saying, Hey, you know what? Continuing review is coming. This just isn't working at our site. Can you close this down so we can save you money? You don't have to be paying for another continuing review. And you should see their faces when they're like, holy crap, you mean you, you actually have our finances in your best interest? I was like, see, well, yeah, absolutely. Dr. Fox, you're you're the unicorn, man. We the, the, the people on this panel are the unicorns of the industry. That's what more people need to do. Like I would have been grateful for a site to say, you know, Robert, look, this isn't a good fit for us. We've tried. We gave it the good old college let's, try. Let's save your money. Why yeah, don't you focus and, your money on getting it done somewhere else successfully? Maybe in the future. Out. Just close maybe in the out. future. Right. Yeah. We can recollaborate. No. Yeah. See, that that's the way it should be, right? Yeah. But instead, Dr. Fox, what's happening is people are, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to get my, you know, my pharmacy fee. I'm going to get my mm -hmm. monthly this fee. Startup I'm going to get my, rec my record retention fee. You know, I'm going to get my closeout fee. Like, like it's kind of like, you know, it, it, it's, it's again, it, it moves back to the, the notion of the limited risk from the site's perspective. You know, what, what, there's no skin in it. I mean, there is skin in the game, but there isn't, right? So they may have, again, depending on how the budget and the contract is set up, they may have a whole bunch of invoiceables that they can do on a month over month basis. And it's yep. just, it's unfortunate that we do see that. But to Chris's, you know, question, sometimes we just have no other choice, but it would be super ideal for a site to come to us and say, hey, you know what, continue reviews on the way or it's not on the way. And even beforehand, we've give it, we've tried, we've combed our EMR, we're using recruitment services that are out of our advertising stipend that, you know, is in the built in the budget. Typically five grand is given pretty standard in the industry, right, guys? Um, and <laughs> they've done everything that they can do. I know that's kind of a kind of a laughable thing, the five grand I'm with you, but either way, you know, at least they're trying yeah. and they've exhausted all their opportunity, you know, all their, all their pathways. Yeah. You got to close up shop. You well, got to kind of know when to fold them. Those are the sponsors that come back to you. So to any of the sites who want to milk all what they call the gravy train, 
that's the end of the gravy train. That's short sight. Yeah. Look at the long term. If you build a relationship with a sponsor and show that they can trust you, that they can trust the budget with you, that you use efficiently and you have their best interest, they're going to come back with 10 times the amount of value and revenue with productivity. I feel like, I mean, I, I, I'm with everything you guys are saying, but most of this relies on a level of communication you don't yes. get with like 80% of the trials we do. Yes. Um, I mean, they generally, these things happen with smaller companies that you have a direct sponsor uh, interaction on a regular basis. But for the most part, we're running a lot of trials with a CRO where I've got a new CRA every three months and then a new CTM somewhere randomly reaching out to me every so often. And we don't have this level of like, can candor i guess you know what i mean um so i think that's like again i'm with you on all these things but i feel like that stuff gets overlooked way more often than mm -hmm. than it doesn't brad why do you think that is like why do you guys think that is is it like here's here's my take and i think that's a really interesting co like comment brad because from and i'm i gotta be honest here let's you know that this doesn't help me not being honest here right i feel like when i reach out to a site to have any type of dialogue or when the CRO copies, you know, includes me on an email, it's always perceived negatively by the site. Why are you copying the sponsor? Why is the sponsor hmm. calling me? Like, why isn't the CRO? Like, because the typical pathway of communication is, you know, we I run things through the CRO and the CRO reaches out to the site. But if I sidestep the CRO, you know, sometimes, Brad, you know, your CRC answers the phone and, and she comes to you. It's like, Brad, you know, so-and-so just called me from so-and-so. And like, it's just the perception is negative. Why? Like, we need to we need to stop that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. And I, yeah. I think, you know, there, there's definitely it's complicated, right? Because at the site, like we're we're getting our like it feels like you're getting your ass chewed all the time. Like, that's what the job of the CRO is to constantly be like, no, you did this wrong. You did this wrong. You did this wrong. And there's not a lot of. uh you know, more open, constructive. So I think CRCs are oftentimes on the defense sort of, you know, by default, because to your point, I mean, it's sort of how it's, how it's pitched to you. Like, Hey, let's just talk. You know, I'm not, <laughs> not coming after you, but I, I can understand why a CRC would be like, Oh God, why is this, why is the sponsor going to talk to me? I don't want to talk to this guy. Uh, I mean, I'm going to get in more trouble. <laughs> right. But also, let's, let's be really honest too. And, you know, I, I hate to say this, but a lot of sites just aren't very good. <laughs> Their coordinators don't <laughs> care. I mean, I, I, I hate Amen. to say it that no. way, but yep. I, was, I was having a conversation with someone and they're like, man, these sites won't answer the phone for leads. And I'm like, hey, I'm really sorry. Maybe you should just focus on the sites that are yeah. doing a good job. Get the good sites. A lot of sites aren't, aren't that good at what they do. And it may not be their fault entirely. You know, I think that's why we're all here. We want to make the site ecosystem better. I don't think anyone sets up shop to fail you know they don't they don't right. want that to happen it happens for a number of reasons but unfortunately you know that's still the case i think there's a lot of just not not great sites out there what's funny robert is that's exactly what i get from the cro's if they look at me and say why are you copying the sponsor and it's it's the same exact thing it's well like, and, i'm copying and, the sponsor because you're not doing your damn job right i'd be curious to know i i spoke at magi last year and it was with a, a cro we did like a panel about budgets and there were some sponsors in the crowd and some CRO folks in the crowd. And I was actually really shocked by the sort of disconnect between sponsor and CRO. Hmm. I guess I shouldn't be knowing what I know, but uh, the CRO guy would say one thing and someone would come up to me later as a sponsor and be like, Hey, actually like we want to know that stuff. Like uh, he, he was wrong. Like, and I, we didn't know that 
sites have some of these concerns. So, I mean, I would even ask, I mean, Robert, you're probably unique in a lot of ways and maybe your experience is a little different than the norm, but I mean, is that, how big of a problem is that? Like how much do you not know because of the gap between sponsor and site? A lot. I don't know unless I'm not copied on an email or if I don't ask, you know, so it, it, it's a huge challenge, Brad. I mean, you know, I, I always want to tell, you know, my CRO partners, I'm like, Hey, you know, let's like, like let's over communicate air on the side of caution. Oh, I'm trying to spare your inbox. No, no, no. Blow my inbox up. I'll triage the emails. I want to triage. And that's why subject line is important, but you know, that's the whole problem. I don't know if I don't ask, and I don't know if I'm not copied. So they, you know, I think this is, you know, it's not unique just to my situation. I think all Sierra sponsor relationships, it's the same dynamic. So unless you have a communication platform that all emails and, and guys, we've all copied like this study archive email box, right? Good luck going to find an email in that thing. Okay. I mean, literally I would, I mean, pick your three letter Sierra favorite one. Okay. I mean, I, I go into the study archive and I'm like looking at, you know, 500,000 emails Wow! and, and it literally takes, you know, 38 minutes just to do a keyword search. I mean, they're useless. So again, it's like, even if you copy this study archive email box over the duration of the life cycle of a study, the chances of finding it useful is slim to none. So we've got to figure out a communication pathway where this that people just stop this like like sponsors aren't just being copied because something's going wrong or sites you know or or if 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 you're a site and you're copying the sponsor in an email to the CRO that should also not be looked at negatively mm -hmm. it's just it's all of us working towards a common goal we're all on the same side of the team here like guys right i mean we're not you know it's not CRO versus site it's not site versus sponsor it's not you know the i mean it's everybody together working to get therapies to these patients who are in our trials. I mean, that's why we're doing this. So I, I mean, I, we, we've got to figure out why there's this, where, do, how do we get here? There's how very little, so, there's very little autonomy between like the people that actually work at the sites. I mean, yeah, you have myself, Dr. Fox, Brad, Chris, we're the owners. I'm not going to lose my job calling the sponsor and asking a question and probably getting authentic feedback, way more transparent than I would get calling the CRO. But my coordinators, when I do this stuff, they're like, oh, good thing you're doing it because I, I mean, I'm not going to do it. And even when I tell them it's okay, if you run into issues, you can call the sponsor. They're afraid. And that's at yeah. a small site. I can't imagine at a bigger site. I mean, you're going to, you know, if you're the CRC doing 90% of the, uh, of the work, last thing you're going to do is risk your job just so you can get an authentic answer. So I think a lot of this at the site level is empowering your staff to understand what's appropriate and what's not when it comes to communication. And then from the CRO side, don't get me started. Chris and I did an RFP for our CRO. We saw the budgets that these CROs have. There's a line item for everything written in out in four in different triplicate <laughs> same thing they have a communication plan they have an internal communication plan an external communication plan a vendor communication plan 
God knows what else hybrid of those. An escalation communication plan. Don't forget that one. (laughs) So it's not like they're not prepared to get paid for this stuff. They could over communicate. It's literally in the budget, but they don't. And 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 each one of those communication plans is a line item on the budget, meaning they want to get paid for each one that they generate and they just generate it from a template. Yep. It's just a template that they go in and they put in study specific stuff and they want three thousand dollars for it. Wow. So, yeah, Chris and I were doing on one yesterday. Chris and I were doing one yesterday. After 18 years in this industry, I've never actually gone through like line by line what's in a typical CRO proposal. And my God, I was telling Chris, this is why we're paying so much for our medications. Like mm-hmm, I yeah. see it now. Partially, it's in here. Partially, yeah, it's not that simple. But we got some questions. You guys want to? And by the Chris, are you and Brad in the same location? I noticed by your background. <laughs> Chris is on the outside. Brad's on the inside. Yep. <laughs> Chris can't get in. Chris and Brad not letting him in. to be the wolf. He's the pig. So before we move on, there's a couple Don't of points that people made. So Brad, you you mentioned something about um, like turnover with CRAs. So you're always getting a new CRA every six weeks or. Or, or whatever, like, there's a flip side to that too, where we work with a lot of sites where there's a new study coordinator every few couple of months, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. I've, I've actually seen sites that try to combat the CRA turnover with, oh, well, putting something in their budget, asking for a fee every time that there's a new CRA. Well, yep. I, I always kind of balk at that and I'm like, okay, Go back uh, to the site and ask Justice them the if we way. can put one in that every time we get a new study coordinator, they pay us back money. And then again, then, then it gets removed from the budget, right? Because like that, they, it's like turnover on one side, but not the other is acceptable, right? Sure. And, and the challenge too is that as the sponsor, we have very little control over the CRA turnover because we're not employing the CRAs. It's the CRO. So we're the ones having to foot the bill for the CRAs turning over at the at the CRO side, and yeah. and, and Justin, that's, that's a problem too. But that's but Justin, a whole other, yeah, that's, that's a whole other conversation, podcast. Justin. Yeah. yeah, I could I could go on both sides of that. I understand everything completely. Then you look at the contract and you understand why and what's going on, the logistics behind it, and the fact that at least you know sponsors aren't limited to their data when a CRC is changed out, but sites are limited to their payments when CRAs don't make monitoring visits and we have to retrain them. So that's a whole other, that's, a, let's make that another podcast, but I got some questions. Let's, let's talk about the questions. Yeah. We got plenty of podcast. Yeah. We got so many questions too. There's one that's interesting here. Um, Vans RV. Not sure if they're trolling or it's legit. You can't tell anymore, but <laughs> are mobile sites vans allowed? Um, oh, no. Too soon. Too soon. That's what I'm saying. I don't know. If, I mean, let's say someone has a number of practices spread across the state and they want to do a different day in a different city. Robert and uh, Joseph, what do you guys think about this? I mean, I, I've seen mobile imaging units. I think we've all seen these where they do stress testing like in a – in a, you know, an RV or a half of a semi truck. I mean, I think this is a little bit far fetched in terms of a van or an RV, but if you're asking about like a mobile aspect to implement a study, I think, you know, from a DCT perspective, you know, yeah, sure. But if you, I mean, if you mean like the, the PI is just going to roll around in a, <laughs> in an RV and, 
to a, a parking lot and patients are just going to meet him in a random place. I mean, and what would it look like on a fifteen seventy two? Exactly. Um, well, you'd have to have those places predefined. I the mean, like Jay loves. Yeah. Now, now I imagine if they went to the patient's house, that would probably be more acceptable. Like, where's the van and RV like parked every night? Right. To come back to the clinic. I mean, because we we have in decentralized trials, we have nurses that go to patients' house and do lab processing and all that stuff. So I don't know that it's all that far fetched, but. I think this is this is like where would you put it next to the the pop up you know restaurants that, that show up I mean <laughs> like yeah I mean I don't I don't look I I'll go on record I don't think anything is in and of itself a terrible idea it more of it's about the execution and yeah. I think uh, how it's done and not that you can't do all of every visit in a mobile situation uh, you might have problems you know managing samples or. Uh, giving people carbon monoxide poisoning or uh, whatever uh, the, the case is that you know we've all heard the stories about. But again, I think. But I think if you don't know what you're doing in the first place, then you're going to have problems. Uh, yeah, I I agree. It has to be holistic. You can't just have some people say, "I want to solve this problem by making it very efficient," and then not knowing anything about regulation or never reading a CTA or ever doing anything like that, and being so laser focused on fixing something that they screw everything else up around it. I think that that's where you're going to run into the problem. Next question. Gupreet says, how do you support sites? This is a good one for you, Justin. You brought this up. How do you support sites that may be dealing with unanticipated turnover? You really can't, can you? Uh, Actually, I I have seen uh, sponsors can sometimes, given enough uh, motivation, (laughs) uh, reimburse for additional hours. So sometimes there's a, a concern with uh, not enough hours, uh, not enough staffing to do the study. So hiring of temporary uh, staff um, or um, more, more hours for, for the time or more money to go into fewer hours, depending on how they're allocated, as long as we get dedicated personnel. I've also seen uh, there's some, I don't know if they're CROs, um, or some organizations within the industry that basically provide sites, CRCs. So those are alternatives. Yeah, I, as well. I would I would recommend because we had so we were actually doing very well in a study. We didn't have turnover, but the sponsor wanted to help us by helping provide someone to help do data entry. If you're a site, be very careful. Uh, I'm not going to tell the story on air because it's uh, un- inappropriate. But oh, if you want to know, man, those uh, are if, the best. If you want to come, uh, if you want to really want to know, you can mess some. You can message me about it. But we did it twice with two different people, and we had to let them both go uh, very, very quickly. Uh, and they were provided through the sponsor, through a staffing agency. And you know, to me, sites are oftentimes a delicate balance of culture. Uh, and so I think you guys have to be really, really careful about about that as a site. I mean, it's a, it's a good. It obviously they want to help you. The sponsor wants to help you, but. Uh, again, I think one you know one bad apple can ruin the bunch, as they say. Uh, yeah, and that, I, can, that can cause a big problem at a site, especially a small site. So, if you were to walk into a restaurant right now, a burger joint, and you walked in and you went up to the counter and you said, "Hey, I want to help you make your hamburgers," they would look at you and say, "I'm sorry, you're not an employee of this burger joint." And I know it sounds really strange, but if you look at it on a legal level, sponsors don't necessarily have that 
capacity to support these sites. This is something that a site has to develop. Dan talked about it with a farm system. We have to talk about good succession for our professionals. And we have to understand that sponsors can't solve all of our site's problems. That's why they're hiring us as independent contractors anyway. So the, my one recommendation is that the best way that a sponsor could possibly support a site for unanticipated turnover is just to pay them fairly so that sites can afford to do the work. That's, I don't think that there's much more of a solution beyond that. It's like, you know, I'm not saying sponsors don't have the right to do this. I'm just saying it's not the sponsor's responsibility. I'm with you, Dr. Fox. I, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, look, if a site comes to us and says, hey, we need help, we don't have the resources, that's a completely different conversation than us just offering things that may not even be applicable to that particular site, right? So I think to answer Gapreet's question, which is great, is that, you know, it's it's we will support you as a site however we can but to dr fox's point you know these are the contingency plans that each site should have in place um you know and and, and transition plans and backup support staff because you know if you lose two three coordinators sometimes they go in go in groups you know uh business has to continue so you know it's really up to the sites and that's why we choose great sites to work with trusted sites that have been through these types of problems that have the contingency plans to support the study because you know the, the, there's still patients here guys right they have to be taken care of um they have to be seen so um i think just here. to wrap it up here what's that no go ahead sorry no, no no i'm just saying like you know i think from from our perspective it's we're willing to do whatever we can do to help you if that means a temporary support staff, I never, I'm personally not a fan of that for the reason you mentioned Dr. Fox, but on the other hand, uh, how do I ensure as a sponsor that this person that we've are paying for is truly being allocated eight hours a day? Mm -hmm. The likelihood or of that you study and, and not even, to another sponsor, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's, that's another concern, right? I mean, it's, it's pretty challenging. You guys have multiple trials going on. Could be dozens. It could be 20, 30. I've seen sites, 40, 50 studies going on uh, simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So if well, I bring up. Uh, yeah. A lot of that speaks to the point you kind of made though. Like it, I think this is provides an opportunity for great sites to differentiate themselves, right? Like this is how you can yeah. be a kick-ass site is don't, <laughs> I mean, manage your business so that you're yeah. not overloading your crcs and look i understand better than anyone that's easier said than done because you know yes do we get paid fairly do we get paid on time yeah probably not but either way that i think that's a big opportunity for sites to be that kick-ass site right you're not overburdening your your crcs and you're not under delivering because you know you can't keep up with things so yeah. it's an unfortunate thing not everybody can be helped you know sometimes it's just up to us that's why yeah. you what's why you partner with with those sites and please, yeah. please, please submit packed surveys. That's the whole point is you want to pull out the good sponsors and the good sites. We have a risk assessment score for this so that the sponsors can go in there knowing that the sites they work with are super. And then the sites who work with the sponsors know that they're not going to get screwed over. And then the, the other human aspect of this, right? Unanticipated turnover is unanticipated, right? There's always going to be that element to this. And 
whether it happens at the sponsor level, the site level, the Sierra level, the vendor level, it's, it's inevitably going to happen. It's imminent, right? So we just have to kind of roll with it and, you know, work as a team to uh, overcome any challenges. That, that's just really how, how I think it works. So I, I, have, a, I have a question for the, for the sites then. So I, I see a lot of turnover with CRAs, but for CRC turnover, What's the leading reason for the turnover? I, I've always assumed <laughs> they that they just by CRAs. I've all, yeah, that's 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 what I've always assumed. That the, yeah. they, they talk to the CRAs, the CRAs say, Oh, you could get to travel, keep your points, and you know, we're always looking for good CRCs to be yeah. a CRA. Is that is that really what's happening? It's I'll succession. get a ten thousand dollar referral bonus. Come on over. Of course that's what's happening. Yeah. It's absolute yeah. succession. And so you have to just bank on succession employee retention is an oxymoron because odds are you really don't want a CRC to be a CRC for 30 years because they're not going to be that driven employee. You're going to have to embrace a farm system in succession because CRCs are where it all starts. Talk about this all the time. I mean, we're overstaffed on purpose for this reason. And we're all cross-trained on purpose because it's inevitable it's not, oh, I got unlucky and my CRC left. No, that's an inevitable part of this game. <laughs> you it's should like... wish that. You should wish that for your, some of your CRCs, right? Yeah, right. If you can go, if you yeah. can go make more money, and because you've done a good job here, and I've, you know, you've been taught and trained well, that's that's great. Good for you. You know, that's yeah. that yeah, you yeah. should be supporting that. Or 100%. treat them better and keep them longer. Like that's the other alternative. A lot. Of, the sites are not free of blame, like all this stuff. Oh, help us enter data, help us recruit, help us retain our staff. Like, what are you doing at the end of the day? Why are you in business as a site? Like, mm-hmm. if you need help with all this stuff, like, what is your core competency? Ultimately, it's keeping your CRCs happy and empowered so that they can do their job. If they're not doing their job, someone's got to manage them. That's the way I yeah. see it. Well, and it costs sponsors money, too, because we have to go in and retrain everybody. And, you know, and when, especially if you're using some kind of training platform, when you pay per username, so (laughs) I mean, it can get pretty expensive for us as well. Oh, but Justin, don't worry. The CROs have the retraining staff fee. We saw it. Me and Chris saw it actually three (laughs) times in the same budget. So don't worry. It's in there in triplicate. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I don't want to get Dan banned or anything, but do you ever wonder what would happen if we funneled all that money going to CROs to our sites? how successful we might be like should have like a crc retention fund hey if you've earned if you've worked here 12 months and your performance reviews have been good here's a bonus i mean sites should be doing something similar to this anyways Mm -hmm. we got a a question here is it better to tell the sponsor you won't be enrolling more subjects yep 100 honesty 100 honesty that's that's always future work future work Future work, uh, you don't, I mean, you want transparency because, and you're going to save yourself some phone calls. How many of those booster phone calls are going to be a waste of time if sites have already made up their mind? So 100%, the more so money you sites, say to sponsor, the better. When do sites need to get realistic? Because there's always hope like, oh, well, we haven't tried this. This might work. And then when that doesn't work, oh, well, we, we're still going to try this. Like you don't want to give up either as a site. Mm-hmm. You know, you know. Yeah, I was like, do you know? Do you really want to know my answer? My mine's called the startup payment test. <laughs> if uh, what's that test? The startup payment test. If you've enrolled three patients, it's been six months and you haven't received a dime. 
like, I think we're done here. Let's just finish with our obligations and be done because you're not a reliable sponsor. Uh, that's, I mean, I, I gauge it off of the responsiveness of the sponsor to keep their promises, not necessarily financial, but everything. And so if a sponsor comes to me and says, hey, you know, we want more patients on your study. And I said, well, for one thing, you did a complete bait and switch and completely doubled the cost of this and never renegotiated the rates. You know, it's it's a point where the sites have to take a financial assessment of how much it costs to do the, to, to enroll a patient and to take that patient through versus the budget versus whether or not the sponsor is willing to actually fund the trial. That's when I have that conversation with them. So from the sponsor side, I would say if you, with the whole bait and switch, um, if something is more complicated than originally thought and it takes you longer, I think it's perfectly reasonable to go back to the sponsor and ask for, for more money for those procedures. I would rather have that conversation than, well, it's just not affordable for us to run this trial anymore. Because yep. if it's just, it's not just you at that point either, it's other sites and that's going to hurt us overall in the long run. So real story, actual story. I'll hide the names because I don't want to get sued. A predatory pharmaceutical development CRO was working with us on a sponsor. They activated predatory. our site. <laughs> predatory <laughs> pharmaceutical development. <laughs> I'll just let you utilize that as an acronym. We get it. We get it. So they, <laughs> uh, they started us up. We were the top enroller in the world on their study in the world. Then they submitted a protocol amendment and required like handfuls of local labs that were not in the budget. And then we came back and they said, okay, there's all these things. It's costing us thousands of dollars to run your trial. We're not making any money. We're losing it. So we're not enrolling anymore. We can't. It's not cost effective. It doesn't meet our quality standards to have an underfunded trial. Predatory pharmaceutical development itself said, sorry, there's no budget negotiations allowed. Okay. I think I get it. I think I get it. So now that's to the sponsor. The sponsor has the final say on that. The sponsor, it did all of that, but it took six months for it to go to the sponsor. And I'm sure that sponsor was getting all kinds of communication fees as a result. So what ended up happening is we kept getting those newsletters, kept getting those newsletters. Oh, here we are on the top of the enrollment charts. And we slowly dwindled down to the bottom because we weren't fully funded. So, and because our CRO friend did not take the initiative in a timely manner. So we just said, we had to be very honest with the sponsor. We said, I'm sorry, but this is underfunded. We will fully fulfill all of our obligations. Patients on the trial, they'll be through, but we're not rolling it. We're not enrolling anyone else. This is, this is just not working out. It's not working out on a financial level. It took you 18 months to pay us a dime and you're fully underfunding us. So we're just going to cut our losses, finish our obligations and be done. So to answer Clara's answer to her question, absolutely. 100% as much transparency as possible to the sponsor, as long as you can get through your CRO friends. Yeah. Or not. I mean, you can just find who they are. I've I've gotten mm-hmm. I've got very good results just using LinkedIn and entering the biotech name and getting like a handful of people that I think are involved in my study. It's not that hard for the smaller 
smaller mm-hmm. sponsors. Uh, why is it challenging for a sponsor to have a sincere discussion with CROs and sites selected for studies to remove the roadblocks to smooth and successful study delivery? It's a loaded question. This so, is the whole premise for SOS. Conference. I was going to ask a question about that, Robert. just popped in my mind. But when you sign a contract with CROs, do you have to have any language in there that talks about your communication pathway and how you're not allowed to talk to the sites? Is no. There, is, is it no. ever in there? So not that why? not that I've not that I've seen. I just you know what I, I think I, I think I know where you're going. Like why is it that way, right? Like mm-hmm. if it's not that, you know, it, again, it's that perception. It, it it's me not wanting to ruffle feathers when I don't need to. You know, I, I mean, I could reach out with great intentions uh, to the site, and just by virtue of oh, it's Robert from you know the sponsor on the phone. Like there's just like this tension like if they even come to the phone right um and and we got to work on that as a as a as a um you know as a community to to stop that from from that that feeling like crc should not feel intimidated sites should not feel intimidated and as the sponsor quite frankly i can reach out to whoever i want to reach out i don't need to ask for permission to anybody you know if i want to call if i want to call your site, or I want to call Dan's site, or I want to call Brad's site and talk to you. I don't need anyone's permission to do that. But what don't concerns me, me <laughs> I won't be calling call Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it's my, my concern is that if I do that, you know, am I going to annoy you? Right? Because not all sites are appreciative of those types of phone calls. And some sites, I think just virtue creature of old habits prefer going through their their cra you know they they don't they don't enjoy talking to the sponsors you know again you guys might be the unicorns on the panel who probably prefer talking to your sponsor friends you know because you get things uh you know much quicker and you get better information but these they just don't want us to complain about them publicly i think that's uh we're getting some of that at this point yeah (laughs) i think you're right guys every single time i have a conversation with a site it's it, it's unavoidable. I mean, it's unbel- I can call about, hey, you, you guys are just one. I've literally called sites to thank them. Hey, you guys are doing so great. Thank you. You've, you've single-handedly contributed to the success. Like, you're just doing great work. Just wanted to call them thank you. And that turns into, well, since I have you, I just want to <laughs> let you know that the CRA came here at 10 o'clock and left at 2 p.m. and took a one-hour lunch. I'm like, oh, wow. Well, that, that I'm, I'm sorry that <laughs> happened. Um, thanks for letting me know. You know, and then I'm on the horn with the CRO. Like, hey, did you know this feedback I just got? And then the CRO is mad at me because they think that I went out and, and sought this Undermine feedback. Undermine them. They yeah, think like, you're auditing. They think you're like, auditing I, them. See, so like th- this whole cycle is just, it, it's so broken and bad. It's like, I feel like, you know, so I, I tell the CRO, I'm like, well, maybe you should think about sending a survey. But then again, you guys don't feel like filling out this survey. Do you guys really want to throw or toss your CRA under the bus and say, yeah, you know, Robert showed up at 10 o'clock, took an hour lunch and he left for the airport at two. I got four pages of open action items. I still got a backlog. Um, I've got, you know, a hundred post-it notes in my site file, um, but he left it too. He was on site for maybe three and a half hours. Yep. I, I have coordinators who will not fill out those surveys because they're afraid of CRA retaliation. It, it just just know this thing. though. Know this. So 
the CR it's impossible for the CRA to know where the feedback's coming from, or at least they should not know. So I can tell you again, pick your favorite three letter uh, CRO that they do typically send out surveys. The line managers of the CRAs will send out a survey, not always, but maybe, you know, once a quarter and um, you know, you'll come to your manager, your, your line manager meeting, whether you meet with them biweekly or monthly and they just give you random feedback. Now, to your point, Dr. Fox, I could probably, if I have eight to 10 sites or 10 to 12 sites assigned and one of my, you know, my line, you got to be tactful with this and you have to be strategic as a line manager. You have to know what information to divulge because you don't want your CRA identifying what site gave that feedback. So simply as a line manager, I would say, listen, I've received feedback from several of your sites that you're not on site for eight hours. That CRA knows they're not on site for eight hours. And it's mm -hmm. not just that one site. They're doing it that at multiple sites. Yep. So now, so, so, you know, it's kind of like in the way that you deliver the message, but I agree. I mean, it, it's, I can understand where your CRCs are coming from, that they are in fear of retaliation that, you know, the, but, but, but really at the end of the day, you as a site can call up the sponsor of the CRO and say, Hey, listen, this CRA is detrimental. It's toxic. They're not working well with my staff. They're being overbearing. They're asking for unrealistic requests. Expectations are not being managed. We need a new CRA. Mm -hmm. You know, you guys have that, that right to do. You, you guys shouldn't be requiring your staff to work in this toxic environment where everybody's on pins and needles. That's not something that I would want any of my team members involved in either so chris remember I think it's, when yeah, you requested a new... a warning on that <laughs> be careful be about that requesting new new cras just be forewarned you may not like what you get <laughs> that you're absolutely right chris right you, you know i mean that that's the gamble you're taking right uh you oh, might have wished uh oh, shoot i should have i will i'll i will say this we have had a situation where we had a disgruntled CRA who pinpointed who put out these surveys, who invented queries that were not true, that we wow. caught them in the act. But I, I will say you have to be very, very careful. Be very careful when you fill out those surveys. It's good to be honest. I, they try for being anonymous, but... Sorry, I just broke up there. Invented My point is, queries. there's a, a new, reason. That's a new one. Uh, we've had some pretty bad series back in my day. Me and Chris shared one. Uh, <laughs> luckily, they've been a lot better lately. But man, yeah, yeah be careful about requesting a change. We, your CRA. We, we, speaking of that CRA, so we had a CRA that was difficult to work with. So something probably similar to what Dr. Fox is describing. I don't, they didn't create queries, but they were difficult to work with. So we thought, ah, we'd be better off with the new CRA. They literally gave us a crazy CRA. I mean, not an exaggeration. <laughs> the oh, person yeah. got fired and the replacement said that she had a mental illness. She was like probably borderline personality. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was a bad situation. Yeah. Our CRC was crying. We had all kinds of stuff to deal with. Um, SOS Conference should be quite an event. Thank you, LinkedIn user. I, I couldn't agree more. 2224. Look forward to finding out more on how this dialogue can make a positive impact. We hope mm -hmm. so. Um, somebody's mentioning LMS with repository of key trainings creates an evergreen resource to support training new staff on study-specific training. 
Versatrial. Shout out to Versatrial. Oh, yeah. Wow, I mean, you're making my job easy for me, man. Yeah, <laughs> right. Versatrial. Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, Justin and I are meeting with those guys tomorrow again for a, for a follow-up. We had a meeting with them first, and I, I just I'm, I'm a fan of what they're doing, you know. I'm but a huge fan. Yeah, huge, and obviously, and here here's a great opportunity to link all your your trainings, and you know that way when you have attrition or turnover, everything's in a central place. You know that it's person can easy. pick it up. It's right there. It's right there. It's it's what we should have had. It's some such a simple solution, yet it's like so valuable. Do you guys think we're paying enough for the professional development of CRC because they're the building block of this whole ecosystem? Short answer: No. Absolutely not. They're the most underpaid, <laughs> undercompensated, most crucial aspect of the whole puzzle of this of this clinical trial ecosystem that we live in. Um, but hey, it's it's the way that it is right now. You know, I mean, I think it'd be great to have a CRA salary get funneled to a CRC. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the site budgets don't afford that, unfortunately, and. Um, just to answer so, the question, you know. So looking, look, knowing what we know about site budgets, like we, we said that the CRO budgets are very line item, but so are site budgets in a lot of regards. A question I would be curious to know, how much of the CRC fee per visit gets funneled back to the CRCs? <laughs> hundred or 300% of it. <laughs> 300%? No, I mean, seriously, like the, the No, fees, I, I don't doubt you. Yeah, CRC fees are fully underfunded because of so many different reasons. That, again, that's a whole other podcast. But it's it, it kind of goes back to the whole, you know, we are not, we're not the industry's babysitters. We're not. We're not the business's babysitters. If we talk about trying to make these holistic ecosystems of professional development, that's good on a global standard, but we as businesses need to be the ones to make those decisions for reinvestments. It's not the sponsor's responsibility or right to tell sites what to do with their employees. And I, I just saying, if you're, and I saw a comment somewhere about just giving sites more money isn't the solution. I agree. Let the greedy sites go extinct, reinvest in the sites with a proper margin who know what to do with it. They will float to the top, I promise. And you're going to have that encouragement of a professional development. Yeah. I agree. Fair enough. Chris, what do you think CRC budget goes back to the CRCs? Uh, Sites have to like fund a lot of this stuff. Depends on the budget. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're subsidizing. We're we're also subsidizing CRC salary when there's no activity, yeah. and when we're way past screen fail cap. And so sure. there are situations where we're losing money off of a CRC if we don't have other studies mm-hmm. for them to, from which to uh, generate mm-hmm. revenue. Um, or you know, when you pay a CRC for 15 minutes of work and it takes them 90 minutes, which that's pretty much a guarantee. That's where it goes back to the conversation earlier, though. I think sites need to be more willing to pull the plug and walk away once mm-hmm. it's not, you know, worth worth a damn anymore. I mean, at the end of the day, it's yeah. still a business, right? So to be able to say, hey, sorry, this isn't working for us. Here are our problems. If they can't be addressed or solved, then I don't know that we have any other, you know, choice for both of us than to just walk away and we'll put our, you know, interests mm-hmm. and time and effort into the study that's working. 
Right. I mean, no, no, no business, if they're even selling tangible goods, is going to continue to reorder a product that they can't get off their shelves. Oh, we're just going to let it expire and just we'll keep reordering the same thing, even though it's not being yeah. sold. I mean, you're absolutely right, Brad. I couldn't agree more. I mean, that that's why transparency in knowing when to walk away amicably and and appreciatively, you know, and, and we, we look to collaborate down the road. Look, it's a small industry, right? We all we all cross paths once again and mm-hmm. maybe in the future there's another opportunity. I mean, I've had, you know, during during a probably last year at this time when I was, you know, frantically searching for rescue sites. I can't tell you, I was so impressed with so many sites. They were like, Robert, look, I I just can't do this. Like the the timelines aren't for me. I, you know, I want to, I want to maintain my reputation. You know, the sites were referred to me like, Hey, these are really reputable stand-up sites, super high quality. And I, I can't tell you guys how much I appreciated that candor. Like she was completely honest with me. It was a site in, in Denver and she's like, listen, any other future, um, future, uh, you know, um, studies that you have for me, keep me in mind, but this one, I just can't, I can't take it. And, and that's, that's the dialogue that we need. That's the reality that we need to keep things moving forward. Yeah. And there's no shame, I think as a site to be like, Hey, right. we tried, we tried our best. We'd looked, maybe yep. it looked like a good fit. It turns out it wasn't because of name any number of infinite reasons that come up, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the course of a study, whether it be the study itself or the way the sites you know put together there could be any number of things but i think mm-hmm. it's okay and should be encouraged for again uh, sites to just be truthful like look man it's not working let's let's move on yep yep is it not automatically taken care when sites get more money with more activities per contract pi gets more money to allocate more resource hour to manage situation no uh, that's all <laughs> per site that's every site does it differently yeah, I don't think things are that simple. Uh, what about CRC bonus for retention into agreements? Um, you mean patient patient retention, or uh, we've we've played around with bonuses, Chris? We've done bonuses before, no, for other employees. We've even made CRCs part owners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's again a, a per site thing. I've seen some sites like CRCs, they'll get like a portion of the per patient values even when they complete the trial. So there's, there is an incentive to work really hard to keep the patients on the trial. Here's a call to action for all the site owners. Please complete these questionnaires as a CRA. It is my first look at a site and most are incomplete or not complete all the way. This creates a huge hurdle and expectations and communication. So we were talking about those doing those surveys Mm -hmm. Afterwards, please complete the questionnaires and surveys. We need to weed out the bad CRAs. As a CRA, we do not know. It's completely anonymous. Uh, yeah, I mean, l- lately, most of the CRAs have been pretty good. Uh, okay, I think we're... Oh, here we go, one more. For PI shortages, reluctance, why can't sponsors collaborate with FDA and tap into training farm Ds? UK already started this program. What do you guys think, sponsors? Farm Farms, NPs. What about PAs being a PI? What's what are your thoughts on this? I think it depends on, the study. on the, Yeah, exactly. It I depends mean, on the I've, context of the study. Yeah, I've uh, done studies where their um, psychologists are the PIs. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just it just depends on the type of drug. 
that you're working with or the type of study that you're doing. But um, I find that a lot of times sites will have a PI and then nurse practitioners or, you know, other PAs and, and stuff that are handling the majority of, you know, the daily activities. Yeah, I think ultimately training a PI and then booting them out into the world isn't really doing much good because they still need a good team around them. How many PIs are doing? They don't. They're not working in a vacuum. Frankly, the, the PI is doing probably the least amount of work, right? Uh, so they still need a good team around them. Uh, they still need to make sure they're getting paid, and you know that requires some admin staff. So I think you know just just important to have as much good qualified support than just PIs alone. Well, and not only that, how many, how many medical practitioners don't know enough about the research side of the industry, right? All to of, know that maybe, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, oh, maybe yeah. I should start a site up or do some, you know, a little, take on a research study in my, in my office just to kind of get their feet wet. I think a lot of sponsors may have a problem with like somebody that doesn't have any kind of experience in clinical trials. Um, but there's, you know, there's, there's ways around that through training, um, you know, uh, CR, uh, partnerships with CROs and, and investigators. I've seen some, you know, talk about that. So I, I think that is definitely a challenge that we need to look at overcoming as an industry, but ultimately I think it's going to come down to starting the conversation in medical school on, and on, you know, this is something that you can do if you don't want to just be in clinic all day. You know, there's there's other alternatives to just seeing patients. And I mean, what like how many how many medical schools uh, give any of their doctors uh, business? <laughs> like, there's yep. there, no combined yep. business schools or business you know classes. And you know, I know that there's few. I think Texas Tech has one. It's a combined uh, MD MBA program, um, but I mean, it's there's a business side of the industry uh, that doctors may not be aware of or even how to broach the the door. Well, I, you know, I worked in academia before this, but I still talk to guys, you know, men, women, whatever the case may be. But their first experience doing clinical trials sucked because it was part of working through an academic institution. Maybe they didn't get paid for the extra yep. work they did. Yep. Uh, frankly, a lot of academic institutions function as complete chaos, you know, even, you know, much worse than than your independent sites do so a lot of them you'll go approach about it and like oh yeah i did it in fellowship or residency it was terrible i don't yep. want to i don't want to participate exactly. in research again i've heard that so many times brad so many times no that was for that was in medical school i'm beyond that i'm past that so yep. whose responsibility is it then for i mean entrepreneurs that's what myself brad dr fox chris do we we try to find research naive community clinicians and groom them into being PIs. But other than us, like, do you think it's sponsors should be doing this? Do you think it's CROs should be looking for these, these physicians? I mean, it would make the most sense for sponsors to want to, to want to be involved in this, especially the bigger ones. They already have sales reps and medical science liaisons going out there. Uh, what are you guys thoughts on this as sponsor representatives? Yeah. I mean, Dan, I think it's, you know, like, like Brad mentioned, I don't, th I think nine, I mean, if you honestly polled providers, MDs, DOs, um, I'm comfortable in saying that 95% of them have no idea that this is even something that's possible. 
right? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. the ones like Dan, you had you had a guy on your on your podcast, or maybe I can't remember if it was Brad or Dr. Fox. You guys all have so many channels going and i watch them all but <laughs> the point is somebody had a neurologist on their channel yep. and was that yep. you dr fox no that was dan remember oh, dan and chris was, we brought yes oh yes. That's right yeah that, yes. that and, guy was yeah he was just about to close this down because he was tired I mean, of it he he's just he's just like what he's like i don't i don't need this headache in my life i, I gotta chase that i mean it's worse than dealing with insurance companies he's like i'm doing the work i don't get paid <laughs> yep. like what what the hell he's so here's a perfect example of a of a very capable individual who is wanting to advance science, wanting to bring new therapies to his patients out of the benevolent agenda in his own heart, you know, and he just had such a bad experience. He's like, I don't need this. And this was with a large pharma, if I recall, and a lot yep. a large yep. CRO. And he was like, I haven't been paid in 13 long months, time. Yep. long time. So that has to change. Yeah. Community education has to change. And I think Justin makes a good point. You know, I mean, there's a lot of opportunities in, in, in schooling of physicians to, to them to understand this because without engagement of physicians, how do we advance, how do we advance science? You know, you don't. So as with most things, small business is the solution. Entrepreneurship is the solution. No. <laughs> short answer. Well, but not only that, like, so there's professional, like the ACRP, right? So those are, you know, big professional organizations. Like, why aren't, like, why aren't there more outreach programs to medical schools or, you know, other other areas? Show me the money. I think well, it's yeah, risky. it's, we'll it's already there. so. It's already yeah, and it's already so intensive with like you know just so many other other aspects that. You bring in this, it's just, you know, young new doctors are gun ho to get out, uh, get out there, get in residency. They're working obscene hours, making very little bit of money until they're out of residency. And when they're out of residency, they've got 500000 in debt to pay. And it, I don't know who just mentioned it, but the risk associated with going down this pathway. And I've had PIs as a CRA come to me and say, you know, Robert, I really didn't understand what I was signed up for. I had some guy yep. come to me. He would bring me a bunch of papers uh, once a week. <laughs> I would sign them. And he's like, I don't even know if I'm qualified to be a PI. I'm like, mm-hmm. are we really having this conversation? You know, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I had to escalate. This happened in Palm Springs. I'm dead serious in California. Wow. And, and as a matter of fact, that PI, he's, I'm like, do you even know like what the color of the walls are in that building? He's like, no idea. I have no clue. He's like, I'm, he's like, I'm retired. I'm, I'm just trying to bring in a little bit of extra money. I have wow. stage four, you know, pancreatic cancer. I'm just trying to help these patients, you know, because they're in pain. Um, it was an endometriosis study and he had never even stepped foot in this. And some site owner just pitched him a bill of goods and he was wow. an older gentleman. Yeah. And he's like, and he literally came to me and he like, he's like, I need, I would like, he's like, I would like to resign as the PI. I'm like, well, the doctor, it's not, you know, I'm going to help you through this, but it's not just, you know, I'm going to resign. But so, I mean, you know, we've seen it all right. The, these types of predatory tactics on recruiting vulnerable doctors who are retired or the doctors who are desperate to make ends meet because they have loans to pay off there's a lot going on. So I think, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of areas and places where outreach can happen, but with continuing medical education credits, CME and the constant, um, you know, stipulations and regulations imposed on our providers, 
it's tough. It's a tough sell. You know, I, I was like at my internal medicine doctor's office. Right. And I think I was there for my yearly physical. And I, and I said to him like, Hey, why aren't you doing clinical research? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you know, clinical research. Like, why not, you know, why not do it? He's like, Oh no. He's like, that, that, that's just not for me. I I've heard horror stories, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. And it's like, and it's yep. like, wow, I couldn't even, and he was just, the conversation was checked yep. out. You know, my like favorite, there. my favorite saying was uh, PI saying that research is just a really expensive hobby. That's all it is. They need to listen to a Dr. Fox podcast skit. They will change their mind. <laughs> Which one? Which one? All of them. All of them. When do we get paid? <laughs> Never. Uh, Lee says, hey, Lee, what's up, man? I'm having challenges with sponsors. Here's the, here's actually like the solution, right? It's the solution is guys and gals like Brad, Chris, Dr. Fox, me, Lee, and many others that are coming to save our sites because big pharma is not going to do it. Little pharma can't even think three years from now, right? They're not going to think 10 years from now. Uh, CRO is not going to do it. So who's left? AMCs are not going to do it. So it's just small community sites. This is why we got to save our sites exactly because of this question. Most studies now need a specialist mm-hmm. as a sub-buy, yep. this and that. We It behooves us as sites to go out and find doctors in our communities. And then it's the good sites, the ones that manage their business as well, if they're smart, they're going to work on grooming them to be PIs. So it's just going to be a grassroots effort among small sites, I think, to solve this issue. And we need more research-naive physicians in research because they're the ones that are seeing the research-naive patients. We can't keep recycling the same patients in every study. That's going to solve the diversity issue. That's going to solve slow enrollment. That's going to solve all kinds of things, ideally. This is one of the reasons why Save Our Sites exists. Yes, Lee, I'm experiencing this on every study just about. Yep. Uh, You have an ophthalmology study. They expect an endocrinologist and a nephrologist in there. You've got... yeah. It's and throw in a liver biopsy while you're yeah, at it. So specialized. Yeah. Then you're going to have to bring in GI. So don't forget the audiologist for hearing yep, oh, audiology yeah, true, true. And, and everything else. <laughs> so you're absolutely going to have, as, as research becomes more specialized, you're going to have to have more specialists. Healthcare integration is going to be the only way to do it. That's the, going so to be the society's future. society's answer is let's just get all these large healthcare systems to consolidate. And then let's throw research into them as well. You know, mm-hmm. and it's not, I don't think it's going to work. I think you need to go long tail, smaller sites need to get more nimble and, and, and get more flexible as far as the kind of study offerings they can do. Because if we rely on large systems, I mean, okay, if it's private, but a large healthcare system like Kaiser, I mean, what difference is Kaiser from an AMC really? Mm-hmm. Like they're right. the same thing, right? Just dressed up differently. That's my thoughts on it. I'm pretty passionate about this. I think there's opportunity for us small site owners. This is why sites are never going away. And you can try all this stuff about doing research in buses and at liquor stores and <laughs> you know, all these things. Or Brad going to the donut shop and slapping donuts out of these diabetic patients' hands. I mean, that's a good one too, you know? <laughs> True story. We had a donut shop owner want to open a research clinic in their shop. And That's I actually amazing. think that would have worked. Chris, is this not true? <laughs> Chris remembers this. This donut shop owner, he wanted to do research. And we actually think he could have been successful. 
It's absolutely true. Yeah. yeah. I think I think yeah, difficulty finding a PI was the reason he never got started. But <laughs> yeah, he found a PI that liked donuts, and Dan and I know a few. Yeah, that going. would have worked. <laughs> well, anyways, anyone else got something to say, or I'll, we'll just keep going on rants. And we've been told not to go on rants, too. So. Yeah, I mean, I think I, that's I, yeah. Go ahead, Brad. I will say I just just to tack on to sort of the last little topic we're having here. Look, I owe. Uh, I'm here in a big health system, you know, providing research infrastructure for the whole group, 300 plus physicians across the state. Blah blah blah. The only reason I'm here is because of a discussion I had with a uh, an MSL who said, "Oh, hey, we're doing a study, and we I know this doctor. He really wants to do research. Let me just introduce you to him." And that was the wow. beginning that got me in and it got me a contract and blew up here. And since then, they've given us you know half a dozen more studies, probably more than that. But I feel like wow. and I've seen that with some other companies as well. I think uh, that's where we could see some, I think, big changes or big, big movement in the right direction is, you know, the us of the world just working with all we need yeah. is an introduction. They don't have to force it on anyone, but just start making some connections. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to help your study. It's also going to help your pipeline. It's going to help. The community is going to help everyone. And all it took was a five-minute introduction. That's all it took. See, from the Big Pharma MSL, and you're actually a perfect example. You work within a large healthcare system, but it took an entrepreneur and a small business to pull it all together. Because mm -hmm. that health system wasn't going to do it on its own. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Robert, I think that's a good SOS topic. We got to put that on the agenda. How best to have conversations between sites and sponsors. I definitely agree. Memes. We speak in memes. Speak in memes. Yeah. That's my love language. Um, <laughs> so, uh, a question I have is, is so, Brad or, or anybody, how would you go about, um, you mentioned, you know, making that introduction. If there is a physician that wanted to get into clinical research, where would you send them? Like, what, mm. where, where would you provide them information or, or, or how would they learn more about going into opening up the site i mean dan's got 10 years of video about how, yep. to, how to start we have a, site. a resource page yep. yeah we have a resource page we have a chris and i made a two two hour videos on the blueprint of how to start your own research clinic if you have a private practice ideal that's the ideal setup you already have your pi and your patients like what what do sponsors need when they need a study site they need a pi okay check you need patients check okay let's let's get a coordinator to run the whole thing and this is why i think training some of the questions here were in regards to training and mm -hmm. we have a crc academy but i think there's a lot of good solution providers out there but like yeah six month learning curve for a good crc or you can hire an experienced one and that's mm -hmm. really what you need like i would read dan's book everyone has dan's book so if you don't have dan's I'll book think, then you're think, probably not in the industry Man, and, well, thank you. And even beyond that, I don't know about you guys. I take multiple calls every week with people that are like us or thinking about mm -hmm. starting a site or yep. a, a doctor who wants to get involved and just having a half an hour conversation with them. I think a lot of people uh, in the industry and who are have some level of knowledge are willing to share that. Of course, you can't, there's only so much you can do in a short conversation, but mm -hmm. I have those conversations every week and I tell people, yep. I'll tell you exactly what I did uh, to get to get to, you know, where we are. Yep. Just, Justin, Robert, uh, as we wrap up, thank you guys, by the way, everybody, for sticking around. This is like a little taste of SOS. What's to come? Just like an appetizer 
But uh, I know you're a small sponsor. I know you guys are a small sponsor, but um, I mean, put yourself in the shoes of maybe like a big pharma. Is it in their interest to have a high prescribing physician for like one of their drugs and the same guy or gal doing research? Like, is that an asset for that pharma? Would that make a KOL? Or are they not so interested in that? Is it just like sounds cooler than it actually is? I mean, absolutely, right? I mean, a high prescriber in a given therapeutic area, um, one of the largest, one of the main questions investors always ask is what's the appetite and, mm -hmm. and take up of this drug to be first in class? You know, so given that you're collaborating with a large, well-known name who has influence mm -hmm. in the community, um, that person's likely to attend conferences that other physicians are going to attend. You do a presentation on the on the research and, and the new drug. And from a marketing commercialization perspective, absolutely. And that's absolutely. great for a comparator trial. If you have to do a comparator trial for efficacy, you want that high prescriber because then you're going to have access to the patients who are receiving the maybe the comparator. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Just curious. But so, yeah, I mean, then there's clearly some incentive, not just for small business owners like ourselves, but some of the big pharma as well. Mm -hmm. Happy to talk to you guys, big pharma. Yuma, Arizona is a great place for research. Let me tell you. It the really is beautiful. The population's great. It's diverse. YumaClinicalTrials.com. I'll have Anything to come out there like? for a visit, Dan. I'd like to come see your site. Yeah, we'll get a good bean and cheese burrito, man. It sounds good. I like the plug, Dan. <laughs> Got to get the jab in there. Um, anything else, guys? Where can people find you, Justin? Are you on? We know Chris is not anywhere on any. No, of I'm on LinkedIn. <laughs> LinkedIn, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll send, send you. I'll, yeah, I'll send. I'll send uh, Justin's link to you, Dan. If you guys are listening or watching later, like go follow everybody. Their links are underneath or in the show notes. Thank you guys so much for the spontaneous thing. Look, we still have tickets to save our sites. They're still at a set price. We might be raising prices as it gets closer to the end of the year. So get in now. Hey, if you missed early bird, all right, so what? 50 bucks. So you missed out. Okay, it's 150 now. But it, it might be 300 in three months. We don't know. Even Dr. Fox and Chris don't know. How do I know if they don't know? So it might be 300. Who knows? It might be 3,000. So, like, this is a sense of urgency we're building. Save yeah, I don't want to be a mouthwash conference, Dan. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I know I know who you're referring to. I've actually only been once. but It was okay. Um, but, yeah, saveoursites.com. Guys, get in right now while you can. And mm -hmm. there is a limit to how many people can join. Right now, we're not mm -hmm. close to approaching that limit. But who knows? Who knows? 25% well, of the way there. Yeah, we're getting there. Is it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 25%. Okay, yeah. Not yeah. quite. We're getting there. All right. Well, thank you, guys. Any last words or we're done? No, that's awesome. Thank you. Yep, I'll be at SOS. Um, so, you know, I would love to meet everybody. And if there's anybody watching that wants to reach out and have a conversation, let's, let's do that. Um, huge fan of everybody on this uh, panel. And Dan, Dr. Fox, Chris. Great to see you guys as always, and thank, thank you, you for Robert. having us. And Justin needs his us. own pod. You and Robert, you and Justin should get your own podcast, man. Yeah, like we we, we two should sponsors, two sponsors discussing the industry, the state of the industry. Yeah, something catchy. If, I think hey, if, you, if anyone wants a little bit of a teaser, 
uh, Raymond in himself from Creo has Ooh. interviewed for CRPN central, and that'll be the June episode love coming it. out in about a week. Love Creo. Love Creo. So. Shout out to them too. One of the sponsors of the podcast. So thank you everybody. And thank you everybody for watching like subscribe, comment, share, and listening. Bye-bye. All right. Bye everyone. Bye. All right, bye everyone.